Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Studio 60 on the Sunset Chats. As you all know by now, we recorded these a few months ago, so we might be making references, particularly in this episode, to shows that we were watching at the time uh, that we're no longer watching, so you can kind of play the game of placing this when it was recorded. But uh, yeah, stick around until the end of the episode for some more up-to-date plugs and announcements. Otherwise, let's get into it. Live from Studio 60 on the Sunset Chats, it's Thursday Night on the Internet. Hello and welcome to Chats, the television podcast, season 10, Studio 60 on the Sunset Chats. My name is Alan. And how can someone so smart and beautiful be so <laughs> consistently wrong and dumb? <laughs> It's Magellan. Uh, you just you only want to be my co-host because you feel bad for me. Yeah, that's basically it. I I just I noticed you were pregnant and I figured out well, I've been <laughs> yeah, sober that's, for that's the only reason that you've watched you know, so many TV shows with me. So yeah, why would you spend half a decade with someone if you didn't like them? Yeah. I don't know how if that sentence tracks. Regardless, hi Magellan, welcome to the show. Hey, welcome to the show. Uh this week we are also joined by our stalwart co-host. Uh, the person whose acts of cruelty are often disguised as cuteness. It's six. Yeah, okay. I have no objection. Yes, yes. I knew I found the right one for you this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like Studio 60 has given me the most difficulty finding good names for you two, but this week I think I, I think I nailed it. Me personally, like to me, to me, to me, I think I nailed it. You've been on a real to me, to me, to me kick lately. Yeah, when I find a set of a phrase that works, six like uh, Chad or whatever, I just can't stop. I'm like, you know, it's too I, bad it's that I don't edit this podcast, or I could, you know, really beat you, beat it out of you. Yeah, you could beat it out <laughs> of me, me, me. Um, this week we watched more Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip, and we're gonna get right into it, folks, because we watched a two-parter. Holy yeah, we loved crud. every minute of it. It was a, the best. A, a, a dose parter. Well, okay. Two of us watched a two-parter. One of us watched half of a two-parter. Okay, uh, so I I was messaging the the group DM repeatedly as I watched the Harriet Dinner Part One, and I was <laughs> doing a lot of complaining because I was not having a good time. That's fair. Um, and the idea was put forward that wouldn't it be funny if I didn't watch the second episode and <laughs> y'all tried to explain it to me and I tried to guess what would happen. And I was like, well, sure. Yes. I mean, you twist my arm. Why don't you? I don't have to watch yes, a second yes, episode yes, of yes. this bad show. <laughs> so I think we can start there, right? Let's, why don't we, uh, well, we can at least talk about the first half, I think. And then mm-hmm. we can get into. Yeah, I'll give the breakdown for part one. For part I'll give the breakdown for part one. And then we can kind of see where you think each of these different plot lines goes. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is part one of the two-parter called The Harriet Dinner. Uh, of course, teleplay by Aaron Sorkin. Story credits by Ellie Atty, Eli Addy, directed by Timothy Busfield. Oh, that's why Cal directed this one. Look at that. Hmm. Um, oh. And it originally it originally aired January 29th, 2007. Magellan, what happened in The Harriet Dinner Part One? In this episode, Danny and Jordan are locked on the roof of the theater while other members of the cast and staff attend a dinner honoring Harriet, whose relationship with Matt begins to unravel. It's a liberal use of the word begins. Begins, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I say continues in earnest to unravel. 
So since we're not so so that we don't just summarize, I'll come in right at the top and say that I thought these were fine. I uh, I think it's actually kind of smart that six didn't watch both though because you really like I feel like you could have added one or two more scenes to the end of part one and had a solid conclusion. Um, but a lot of part two just feels like we're rehashing things. Um, and there's some good moments in there. You know, if you care about the Matt and Harriet romance, which I don't. If you care about uh, the Danny and Jordan stuff, then I don't. If you care about the Kim and uh, and Tom stuff, which I kind of do because Jack Rudolph's in it, then you're in for a good time. Um, but we have five major plot lines. The classic Sorkin five. The five-act structure, mm-hmm. five plots. Um, <laughs> is that a classic Sorkin thing? I mean, I've read his books, man. This is what he does. He does five plots, and that's the episode. Okay. Um, good book. We've got the Jack, Tom, Kim, and her father plot line. We've got Darius and Simon, which is short but unsatisfying. We've got Matt and Harriet, (laughs) short but sour. Uh, We've got Matthew and Harriet. We've got Danny and Jordan. And we've got Cal and his animal friends. Yeah. Um, Majon, which one do you want to talk about first? Oh, it's so hard to choose. Uh, Do you want... Can you guess which one made me the angriest? <laughs> oh, fun game. Okay. That's a fun it game. It was a good ah. race. It was a good race this week. It was close. Tough, tough choice, actually. Um, okay. Well, the one that's the most fun is Cal with the animals, right? That's true. Yes. No one that's can agree like, that. actually pretty fun and funny, I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so good job, Mr. Sorkin. Mr. Busfield. Mr. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I'm going to say that the one that bothered you the most, Six, was, oh. And remember, we was, only watched the first episode, so I didn't get the shitty oh. the conclusion to all, all in any of these. Then I'm going to say it was Darius and Simon. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 That sucked so bad. Because oh. if you watched all of it, you would have hate That one gets worse, you but you would have definitely. said Matt and Harriet, I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, so let's talk about Darius and Simon because that one occupies the least amount of episode time because Aaron Sorkin is a coward and doesn't know how to hire black writers. Um, once again, we have conflicts between our friends Darius and Simon because we are finally coming back to the Fruit of the Loom sketch for no reason this episode. I don't know. We're finally shooting it and, and putting it on air, which is what's happening. And Simon is playing the militant Fruit of the Loom member, which is a sketch that wouldn't make it today, obviously. Um, I actually watched, uh, this is probably going to be my chat some for this week, but I just want to chat out uh, a YouTube video I watched about the neoliberalism of Saturday Night Live and how mm-hmm. it's like comfort with prioritizing capitalism over people is why it's so bad right now. It's like one of the major reasons. Um is that it'll always go for stuff like letting Donald Trump host episodes because it does ratings instead of like not helping him win an election. Um, Hmm. And the neoliberalism of Studio 60 is like, at the end of the day, being a writer is more important than being black, uh, is kind of where this plot line goes. So uh, Darius continues to be mad at, uh, at Simon and is getting angrier and angrier at him. It's kind of boiling as everything else is going on around them. And eventually he he said, you know, Simon's telling him, you have to sit down. You have to listen to me. Call me, sir. Do all the things that make you a good junior writer. And also fucking write because none of your sketches are getting aired. How can you call yourself a writer if it seems like you don't even like writing? Mm -hmm. You know, I think one of the connecting threads is a lot of these these 
plot lines are about people telling other people like what your actual motivations are. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Darius is rightfully frustrated because he feels like he doesn't want to be the black writer in the group. He wants to be able to get his own sketches that he feels personally attached to that aren't about race. And uh, Simon is like, no, at the, basically they have all these moments back and forth and it ends with him saying, you need, like he, they kind of have this, this uh, they, they reference like roots a lot and he's calling him Kunta Quinte and he's calling him all this stuff. But basically all Simon wants to tell him ultimately is you need to prioritize doing your work over your the color of your skin because no one else is going to acknowledge that. You, like no one else is going to. It's it's weird. Ugh, mm-hmm. I'm having trouble mm-hmm. like nailing down what they're trying to say here. It's very confused because they're not at all consistent in it, right? Because, like, especially the yeah. way this this plotline kicks off for this episode is because uh, Matt comes in with a bunch of letters uh, from from listeners and, or excuse yeah, me, from from sucks. viewers, wow, and sucks. and gives one to everyone and like, oh man, Matt, you're so hot. And then one of them's like, oh, but the, oh no, the one he gives to Darius is is racist hate mail that Simon got. And so it's like, yeah, that's right. Simon experiences racism. It's like, yeah, no shit. I no mean, like shit. that that means something, but you can't like have hand that to the black writer and have him be like, oh no, racism. Like, whoa, just fucking life. Um, yeah, right. And then like, and then when he goes to Simon, Simon like first off is just like like, oh yeah, I had Matt give you this piece of hate mail, but no, we can't talk. Go sit down after calling me sir, which is completely asinine. And then, yeah, it's just like, what is your, if your message is like, it's not about race, it's about your job, then why did you start off by making it specifically about race? Like, also, this is all undercut by the fact that the skit is painfully, viciously, lethally unfunny. Yeah, so, <laughs> so bad. bad. <laughs> so bad. When they're reading lines from it in costume, and it's just, it's so like, Ah yes, I am a militant black guy, and this is what I believe, and that's my whole thing. But sir, but what about this? It's so so so, just like here's the premise. Black character written by a white man, also like even within the show. Right, right, right. And everybody's just doing it in such a wooden like, this is bad kind of way. Um, But I agree. I think the thing that bothered me the most about the Darius Simon thing is the sort of inherent assumption that this would be hashed out between them with anger. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like that, that feels like it really, to Six's point, Simon being so grumpy and like, come here, talk to me, but I don't want to talk to you. And they kind of chase circles around each other between the two episodes, Um being mad and and refusing to talk more and Darius like whips his glasses off and glares at and it's like it's kind of being written as if these guys are both discovering that they're black for the first time <laughs> and also they're both like really mad at each other and it's a I do think that it's it's an interesting and compelling disagreement that they're having um and it's when I in my U.S. history class, when I teach about the Harlem Renaissance, uh, it, there's like an echo of it here because you've got people in the Harlem Renaissance, like um, there's this poet, County Cullen, 
who who basically writes like I'm not a negro poet. I'm a poet. I mm-hmm. also happen to be black and that might show up in my poems, but like I'm a poet and maybe I want to write something about a flower and I'm going to do that. And then you have people like Langston Hughes who are like when I hear people say that they're a poet and not a negro poet, what I hear them say is that they're ashamed of who they are. Mm-hmm. And like you have a um, and I'm putting words in both of their mouths, mouths, I'm paraphrasing here, but, um, Langston Hughes would say like, you have a responsibility to a certain extent to tell stories that only you understand. And you've reached a certain point that maybe people who look like you haven't been able to reach. Mm-hmm. And so like that comes with something and that's kind of the argument that's happening between them. Um, but I, yeah, I don't think that it's like executed very well and the fact that it's shunted off as like the d plot um is bothersome and it also it also like runs contrary to how they've established these characters because like simon like i i referenced this last time but like simon we had the whole talk with him talking to matt being like hey i'm not just the black comedian right Mm. yeah and then also Darius, our introduction to Darius was him doing like like exclusively like black stand up, right? Like specifically mm-hmm. those kinds of jokes. Yeah. And so it makes it doesn't make sense either for Simon to be like, hey, you have to make black jokes or what are you doing? And it does make perfect sense for Darius to be like, hey, I finally am at a place where people will pay attention to me even if I'm not making the black jokes, so let me try some other types of humor first. Right. And the show is just so clearly not on Darius's side in a way that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and there's so much to be explored in, like, there's also a difference between Simon and Darius expressing solidarity with each other and working together mm-hmm. versus them together writing the black sketch. You know? Like, right. they could... There could be this conversation about like Simon being like, hey, I had that idea for a sketch and I wanted to work with you. What's the deal? And that feels like a more nuanced thing. Mm -hmm. Or you could also go the way of like Darius saying, yeah, Simon, it's kind of like I don't want to just be known as the black guy. But also like that sketch idea was really forwarding bad stereotypes that I think are not good. So that's also why I chose not to. It really, I mean, I, I, I am, I assumed from what I saw, but you are reinforcing through what you said that part two wasn't going to have the payoff I wanted. Where <laughs> at fi- finally push comes to shove, Darius snaps and says, "Simon, I pushed it off because it's not funny." No, yeah, no right? They don't, they don't go there. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think happens with Darius and Simon? Uh, I think uh, Darius realizes is how hard it is to be a black star, and is like, "Man, I was wrong about all this. I'm sorry. I had such an attitude." Yep. So pretty much. <laughs> yep. He doesn't literally right. apologize, but they have this very awkward scene where he, they're sitting in the writer's room thinking that there's asbestos in the in the studio and uh you know Simon's yelling at him and they're yelling back and forth and he's like no, we're going to fight. Like he takes off his jacket. He's like we're going to fight. Simon's like fucking stop. Like just sit down and listen. And he's like yeah, you need to stop doing that. You need to be a writer. I want to see your name on credits. Just like you know your place and and stay in it, please. And and then he like kind of realizes like yeah I'm putting my 
uh, my my politics or whatever you want to call it <laughs> over mm-hmm. like just being a successful writer and that's like costing me work. So I'm sorry and like sits down. There was one uh, yeah. interesting thing from Simon in that scene where he tells Darius that Darius is obsessed with white people, which is yes. like, okay, Sorkin, you're kind of getting at doing like an internalized racism story, but you're you're gilding it with all these weird moments where Simon is calling Darius and uncle Thomas. And it's like, do people really use the phrase uncle Tom anymore? Or is that just sort of like a literary way of expressing this thing? And it's just so clear that it's the, it's, it's the way that Aaron Sorkin writes about black folks. Right, know, right. He calls him the pool boy at the house of uncle Thomas. Cause he says, if you're going to keep being obsessed with white people, then you're just going to be the person in the corner who keeps complaining about it. And no one's going to listen to you. Yeah, and everyone else is gonna go be successful, and you're gonna be the pool boy, which is also fraught. I just think ultimately, no matter how much Darius Simon stuff we get, no matter how hard they try to make this nuanced and good, we are still coming at it from a very clearly white perspective of like, why are they talking about race so much? Like, why can't they just write good sketches? That's what equality is. And that is the political angle of this that frustrates me so much, especially. And I know it's oh 2007, but that's not an excuse to like not you know write these characters well it's really not hard to just ask a writer ask a person who's black like hey can you consult on this i'll pay you like you deserve i need i i shouldn't write this plot right or don't write it at all like don't put it in the show then like the fact that it gets past all of these like you know checkpoints to get onto the episode that's already like chock full of other plots that are relevant is like weird and and uh, when we get the final like uh, sort of montage at, at the end of like what everyone's doing, um, I really don't think the show even tr- attempts to criticize the fact that you are. So we're like just to spoil, uh, spoil a teensy bit of the end of part two for you six. It ends on like a montage of everyone ending their plots, basically. Sure. The two part the two parters tend to do that for sure. Yes, correct. Um, and like, you know, Matt and Harriet are over here, like talking about stuff and these Jordan and this guy and Danny are kissing or whatever. Like they're all dealing with like, you know, human affairs well, like that, that. You spoiled that. That was a big. Well, it's you got to expect that that's going to go Come there. On, but uh, we wanted six to guess. But we'll get we'll talk about how we get there. There's a lot. There's a lot of crud that gets you there. Okay. Um, uh, and then you it just have Terry. Yeah. Yeah. You just have Darius and Simon at work. And they don't mm. criticize the fact that, like, we just pan the camera upwards from all these white, rich white people being like, oh, I love you so much. Like, I finally convinced you to love me. And then these two dudes are just working. <laughs> they're <laughs> enjoying it, but they're working. And I'm like, they're the ones doing the work. The show doesn't care. Mm. It makes me so frustrated. Like, it frustrates me so much, guys. Yeah. And I'm not the person to talk about this either. And I know that. I'm acknowledging that. But it's just, you can't look at this. You can't look at this and tell me this isn't bad. Holy moly. In an episode that's already a mess. Yeah. Well, and I, I think uh, it is. It does feel like Sorkin talked to someone who was black and got some kind of story or idea or maybe I don't know, because it there really are germs in it of like this. If this was from the a show from the perspective of Darius, as Studio 60 should be. Um, this would definitely be like a recurring theme or a plot or whatever, but just not uh, executed in quite this way. 
but but then I'd you know did he have someone look at his rough draft? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if Sorkin does that really. Um, the fact that he gives himself story credit makes me think he does not. Yeah. Instead yeah, he, of just writing credit, he has actors look at his rough draft to speak it out into a camera. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 I think T.L. Hughley and and I don't remember the name of the guy who plays Darius, but I think they both do a pretty good job with mm-hmm. what they're given. Um, totally. And uh, I know that I was saying that it's frustrating that they're like angry throughout the plot, but I I think that D.L. Hughley injects it with a, a sort of warmth and like uh, fraternal energy that that salvages it and that makes the ending moment feel like, okay, this feels like it's good for Darius in the end, even if the race politics of this are fraught and the plot is not well laid out and the themes are not that well done their sort of um their bond feels legit uh which i think is is um due to the work that the actors put into it and that that feels important and worth recognizing yes columbus short by the way is the actor who plays darius columbus short that's uh that's what happened to the statue in uh, boston huh but bump but bump good uh, let's move on past the plot that make to a plot that makes me slightly less angry. Okay. Um, Should we I just go up the <laughs> stair by stair up from the ladder? Most angry go to up. least angry. I think so. We have. I want to end on Cal and the animals because it does cap the episode too. Um, but we have Jack, Tom, Kim, and her father uh, continuing the Macau plot line. Wouldn't you uh, say you get angrier at the other ones though? This feels like it should be the second to last. This one, I, I when it started, I was boiling. In part one, I was just mm-hmm. like, "This is okay. the worst." Right. Yeah, in in part one, this is worse. I I bl- I extremely see the possibility that Matt and Harriet in part two uh, seizes the lead in heroic fashion. Yeah, <laughs> but in yeah. part one, it no, is definitely this. This one, this one zooms past all the bad stuff and gets somewhere I genuinely liked. Um, but you have to get through endless uncomfortable scenes in part one of Kim being drunk and flirting with Tom. And I wanted to die after all of them because she's 20 and they keep talking about like, Oh, I think you're really cute, but you're 20 and you're drunk and I need to get you somewhere better. It's just, I mean, it's uncomfortable for a reason it's supposed to be, but the way that they like, I don't know, sexualize Kim as a character and are like talking about her flirting with Tom in this really awkward way. It doesn't exactly remind me of like, the times I've seen people be uncomfortably drunk before and I wish it it was a little bit more delicate but this is not a delicate show and also all the stuff with Tom working up to it is just so I mean it's the most like (sighs) I know that Aaron Sorkin is and I use this as an insult a man's man right (laughs) Um, but like the part where like Matt pulls Tom aside and he's like listen if you just tell her that you've been told to do something for your job, she'll think it's suspicious. So you've got to lie your ass off in a really improbable way that'll get you caught, and that'll work. It's yeah. just the most like, like so stupid it's that he such, didn't just like, tell her what was happening. It does, and it's like it's not stupid in a way that's believable for the character. It's just complete nonsense. Yeah, it's just manufactured to have a moment where Lucy's like, "Oh, Tom, well, oh." oh. That's shitty of you. And it's like, if he just said, okay, 
You know, Jack Rudolph, how he's really scary. He scared me into doing something that I don't want to do. So right, now I got to yeah, just tell her it takes it took it takes him like two seconds to eventually just be like, hey, here's what's going on. <laughs> or even I right. mean, like, I know this is not what they wanted. Right. But like, honestly, in Thomas position, I'd be like, hey, I know this isn't the date you were looking for. And I want to have the date you're looking for. I could really use your help with this situation. And get her yeah. on board with it. And then it's like a bonding thing where you're working yeah, together. that's fun. Yeah. That's yeah. fun. Yeah, so that'd, basi- be, that'd be better. We could write a better Studio 60. Let's work on it um, in the interim. Yeah, first but, you drop to zero, so it's just Studio 6. Studio... And then- mm, we should have just named that. <laughs> we should have star. Studio 6 on Sunset Chats. Your studios, anyways. Um, so yeah, basically, what's happening here is that Tom is instructed by Jack Rudolph to take uh, Kim to the state and convince her not to do improv and to instead continue playing the violin, the viola, the, the viola, viola, yes. viola, the viola, the viola, the viola, the viola, um, which I, I used to play to sing. Yes, shoutouts, um, Shout which I always call viola because of the character from Zone of the Enders because I'm a cartoon. You are a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and just he to, you know, eventually the, takes her. He takes arts, her to the broke arts. Go ahead. I can mute myself, guys. <laughs> uh, could you? Uh, yeah. So he tells him to do that. They go. To, he goes to the Harriet dinner, the titular Harriet dinner, which is the sort of nexus of all the drama here. Um, and she, Kim, gets really drunk, and she wants to flirt with Tom. She wants to ha- be get in bed with Tom. Clearly, he doesn't want to. She drinks too much. I think that's where we leave episode one at, mm-hmm. right, Majan? Or six? yeah, I think well, right. and and uh, what's her name shows up. Oh, you see Lucy show up. Lucy, right. I wanted to call her Lizzie for some reason. Yes, we um, we're watching just to to pull back the time the time curtain, the time paradox curtain. John are currently partway through Pride and Prejudice, and I recently learned that the actress who plays Lucy was also uh, Charlotte's sister on Pride and Prejudice ninety five, which is really cool. Fun little connection. Chat's yeah. connection. That's a fun uh, so she comes in. What do you think is the ending of this plot six? Where do you think this goes? Uh, I know where I want it to go. Okay. Well, give us that and we'll tell you okay. if, if it is that. I want it to be like, uh, they, like uh, Kim ditches Tom because she's too drunk. And then uh, Lucy is holding her hair as she throws up in the bathroom and they have a moment. But we're not oh, going to get that. That would have been so much better. <laughs> um, oh, but you can't have two women in a scene together. Come on. You're right. No, that's you're right. illegal. Come well, on. okay. What really happens is uh, Tom's like, listen, I just need you to pretend you're going to quit the viola and you can do comedy on the side to make your dad happy. Honestly, uh, Tom ba- kind of does nothing to help Jack Rudolph at all. <laughs> Honestly, he turns out to be useless. He kind <laughs> of tries to be sense. like... He tries to be like, hey, you uh, you got a good thing going. And she's like, it's really stressful. And I've been doing it since I was four years old or three years old. She says some bananas line like, I slept in a cemetery overnight to get strong. And it's like, excuse me? <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, Tom's like, why would you have to do, why would you have to get strong for the viola? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be better. Yeah. So she... It uh, Tom ultimately does nothing. What ends up happening is she gets. Well, do you want to guess again, six? I got nothing, dog. Okay, so what happens is she gets so drunk that she passes out, uh, 
And then Simon makes jokes about weekends at Bern- weekend at Bernie's. Oh, and she yeah. br- and she breaks her funny bone, and she can't make jokes anymore. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, no right, worse. right, and the series is over. Everyone breaks their funny bone. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> actually, she breaks hers, and then everyone's like, "Don't worry, we've all broken our funny bones. We haven't nice. been funny for a while." Aaron Sorkin yeah. wrote us, and that's when it turns into a zombie show. Yeah, boy, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, she's passed out, and Tom's freaking out. He's like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" Her dad calls in the middle of her being passed out, and he answers, and then her dad's. Uh, speaking uh, the first time Mandarin he calls the they hang up which is hilarious <laughs> there, yeah. uh, uh, like, what's it's it your dad <laughs> Simon's like hang, like hang up hang up and it's like that's worse <laughs> <laughs> yeah and Just then they go answer. and they get Jack Rudolph yeah. and uh, Jack Rudolph is like the hero too... of this plot what'd you say I said he's the hero of this plot <laughs> well yeah he is he's too comfortable knowing exactly what to do with a woman who is blackout drunk I'm just gonna yeah. say that like he moves with a swiftness and a self-assurance that he's shows like layer down on her stomach you can make who knows how to make before. a whatever yeah what's, yeah. The, what's the drink called i wrote it down it's like a hangover cure like a prairie oyster or yes, a prairie yes, oyster yes, yes correct exactly correct. right he's like who knows how to make a prairie oyster so that we can have simon go i know how to make one and it's like why and he's like yeah i have all the they're like where are we gonna get the ingredients he's like i have them all in my room and they're like why why are you <laughs> <laughs> he's a celebrity he drinks a lot it's fine yeah so then it turns into a like one-on-one thing between jack rudolph and um and kim tom. because or, yeah, with kim, yeah. tom tom and simon get called away for other reasons uh and then they kind of are having like a heart to heart. And she's like, what do you need from my dad? Um, he says a Hail Mary. And she's like, what's a Hail Mary? And he's like, it's when you throw the ball and you just kind of pray. And she's like, how often does it work? And he's like, never. <laughs> and then uh, Jack ends up calling her dad in. Her dad and her mom show up. And then we have this scene. So then uh, the whole Tom and, and Lucy thing happens, which we can talk about in a second. And then Tom comes into the room to be like, wait, Jack, wait, 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 wait. If we give her a prairie oyster, this this girl's going to get drunker than hell. She's going to die or whatever. And he turns around, her dad's there. Uh-oh. Hey, sir. Uh, Tom gets kicked in our out of language, <laughs> In our language, so dr- <laughs> she's a dub drunk idiot means uh, it's a compliment. <laughs> right. Then the mom uh, takes Kim out of the room and is berating her. And, and then we we find out that actually um, the the dad can speak English. <laughs> Did you see that coming? He's been, six? A- oh, for- <laughs> He's been able to speak English this entire time. He just thinks it's funny that when people don't think that Here, he I, I have the exchange. I have the exchange. Hit me with it, bud. So Jack Rudolph says, you speak English. And then he says, I speak a few words. Jack says, how many words? He says, all of them all of them <laughs> jack says why do you pretend you can't and he says it's fun <laughs> and then jack gets like really mad at him and like yells at him and stuff and is like you're stressing your daughter out stop doing that and then somehow this wins his respect and he's like i'll help you do the thing get a good lawyer and like let's do it which it didn't the deal is on yeah. basically i think my one problem with this plot line is the way that it portrays uh like asian family dynamics is really yep. like heightened and kind of stereotypical yeah we're like like the mom comes in yelling in chinese and mandarin and uh 
and Kim like walks outside respectfully and they go out and he's like, don't be too hot. Like Jack Rudolph's like, don't be too hard. He's like, I was going to say, don't be too hard on her. And then Mr. Kim is like, she's going to be because that's how Asian moms be y'all. And then the whole, like, I, you know, do, I work so hard to be the best viola player of all time. I sleep in a cemetery overnight. I slept in a cemetery as a kid. It's like, you guys are just doing the, like, making your, your child study hard immigrant thing. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who is the child of an immigrant who wasn't like exposed to that, but knows plenty of people that were, uh, are raised like that it's like guys there's so much more nuance to that relationship that they're in like positive aspects to it that to just be like oh you guys don't get it you're raising your daughter wrong because what jack suggests is like you know she's gonna go to juilliard but let her have a semester where she does improv let her pretend she can have fun with improv and then make her do her hard work that's the american kind that's the western way to raise your kid <laughs> it's like oh it's exhausting yeah, yeah it is <laughs> It's you know, I hate to beat I hate to beat the like Sorkin racist drum, but it just keeps coming up and I just keep noticing it and you know it Yeah, it, does it, bump it me just up. it's like you got blind spots, dude. Yeah. Get people to fill your blind spots. Get other that, voices in the room. It's so easy. Um before we transition to the next plot, I want to mention that uh in watching both of these, the new version of this this uh show that I've had the last couple of weeks features uh the previews for the next episodes um as well as like the end of the nbc bumper of like you know next is your local news followed by late night with jay leno (laughs) and y'all the previews really paint a fascinating picture of what nbc tried to sell this show as um what did i can show you i can show you some of them sometime john but it basically is like it leans way more into the comedy and kind of makes it seem like a uh, like a family sitcom or something where it's like, and then on a very serious suit at Studio 60 and it's like, Jack's like, I'm going to get a gun. Like, you know, the, <laughs> like just snipping out the parts of it that make it look way more exciting than it is. Yeah. Um, and making it seem like it's another wacky part of our like sitcom lineup. It's Studio 60 on the sunset. And it's like, that is not the show at all. Yeah. What a hard, what a hard show to sell on primetime. Especially on a network, as I learned in reading about this, because in part one, we have Masioka introducing the Studio 60 episode, and he's talking about heroes, and they have the whole like, wait, are you the time traveler or the the teleporty one? And I'm like, wait, Studio 60 is on NBC. Heroes is on NBC at the same time, by the way. And so is SNL. Right. Like, what is this? What is NBC in 2007 that they're like, and so is 30 Rock? Just the most sell, like, snake eating its own tail, Ouroboros like network, where they're like, we got shows, we got sketch comedy, we got parodies of sketch comedy, and we've got parodies of the parodies. Fuck you. It's NBC. <laughs> like- <laughs> so we're going we're yeah. gonna to send, we're going to send 30 Rock in after SNL because SNL ate Studio 60. Yes, and the Studio <laughs> right. is the one that has to die so that Thirty Rock can live for it's a, sort of, whatever eleven seasons. I um I don't know if either of you have seen any of the show Unreal. Have have either of you seen that show? Negative. I have not. Okay, so Unreal is a show that essentially is about like th- um the people who create a show that's like The Bachelor. Um, but it's sort of like a, I don't remember what channel it's on, but it's like a way over the top. Um, it was on Lifetime. 
lifetime yeah so it's like a way over the top dramatic like oh behind the scenes there's drugs and sex and like people planning to murder people you know that kind of stuff sure um yeah usual things but it is also doing things to show you like hey this is what's kind of like flawed and fucked up about this particular brand of reality tv show and there has to be something in the middle between Studio 60, which has no interest in really like mm, interacting with the fact that it's about a sketch show at all. Um, and there has to be some middle ground between that and this like searing over the top melodramatic thing where you can have a show that's like, hey, this is about the creation of a, of a comedy show, a live comedy show. And here are the ins and outs. Here are the like seedy parts of it. Here's what makes it hard. Here's what makes it beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. Studio 60 like isn't really. Not even close to being about that. that. I think the yeah. closest thing to that is the cow plot line, which I don't want to burn right now, but it's the closest yeah. to like the weird, constant, permanent stress of working on like a stage show. Mm-hmm. It's just like things are going yeah. wrong and then the, the solution's causing more problems. That's accurate. <laughs> that, and I think if the Darius Simon plot had been handled better, that also would have. Yeah, mm-hmm. good point. Could have fit in mm-hmm. that show. But but this stuff with like Jack, all of the Jack Rudolph, Macau, Kim stuff, it's like just silly. Not, doesn't fit in this show that it should be. In that plot, by the way, we didn't talk about the resolution of Lucy and Tom. Oh, yeah. Um, but it sucks. It It's really dumb. Uh, basically... Tom doesn't really apologize. Um, cool. He doesn't even, he doesn't really give her, he kind of apologizes, but he doesn't ever fully tell her what's going on. He just basically says like, hey, I wasn't there with her. I'm not lying. And then she's like, well, you thought, you didn't think I was going to be there at the dinner, did did you? And he's like, well, yeah, You're not. of You're course a not. Writer. You're too low on the totem pole. You're too low on the pay scale. Which is sucks. And then he's like, see, if I were going to lie about anything right now, it would have been that. So you know that I'm not lying. Which is like (laughs) high octane, octane, horrific, like emotional abuser manipulation that sucks. That sucks. It sucks. It sucks. It's like, Tom, just tell her literally what happened. Yikes. Oh, God, that he was finally so does, gross. and she's like, it's okay. And then she tries to take control of the situation because he's like, can I ask you, can I take you on a date on Saturday? She's like, no. And he's like, damn, that's fair, but okay, at least we talked about it. And then that should be the way the scene ends, but instead she's like, you can take me on a date on Sunday. <laughs> Shut up! Uh, <laughs> good TV show. No, wonderful TV show. Um, I don't, okay. Do you want to talk about Majan? Do you want to talk about Matt and Harriet next or Danny and Jordan next? Because I have like no notes about um, both of these, but I know you like both. Of the- I know you like at least Matt and Harriet. No, 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 not in this. I like I like where Danny and Jordan goes. Okay, so finally, Danny- befi- finally, Danny is uh, redeemed. Is he okay? Well, 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 if you forget what happened last episode, then it's cool. So what you're saying is, in isolation, he does a decent thing, which is not the same thing as saying redeemed. Correct. Yeah, yeah okay. I guess you're right. He's temporarily redeemed. So Danny and Jordan are stuck on the roof because as all of the Cal stuff is going on, why do they even go to the roof? Uh, Because it's too noisy downstairs and they just need a quiet spot to talk for a minute. Yeah. Because they they were doing work on Danny's office, which I actually thought was great. 
I, I just really the guys, liked, like painting. Yeah, I really like that he like couldn't be in his office and he was like anxious standing around um, because people were doing stuff in there. Anything that's like real life mundane. Oh, the yeah, the guys are painting in there, so we got to find another spot. I actually thought it was a because uh, you know that the way that Sorkin is writing it is like okay, I want them to get locked on the roof together. How do I get them on the roof? I know. Mm-hmm people are painting Danny's office and it's a pretty savvy little solution that felt felt organic um so I like that yeah Sorkin loves and a lot of TV writers love the like isolate two characters in a space thing yeah um I I actually feel like this one didn't get a ton of time in both of these episodes it kind of got more in the second one but in the first one it's mostly them trying to just get off and then it's in the second one where they're like we should talk about our feelings yeah. And like do the plot of this this storyline. Um so I'm trying to think again what happens in part one of this. Basically they just get locked up on the roof and they're like, Somebody get us out of here. Come on, what's up? And then six, do they start talking about like uh, Jordan Jordan says them? the thing about like you just you're just in love with me because you you're just saying you're in love with me because okay, you feel cool. sorry for me for getting pregnant basically so it gets more complicated okay. than that and he says the thing about how she's stupid yes or whatever mm-hmm. okay yeah the line that i yeah yep yeah bad line but okay danny's supposed to be a bad kind of a, a, a like a flawed person here um i didn't okay. want to just say he's Pre- a bad guy prediction all right it's prediction time uh they hash okay, everything right. out and and they end up at like a happy they end up at a happy spot and right when everything gets resolved the door pops open and it's like oh wow is that a, is that a like like it's in fact i think it's gonna be a thing where danny's like and 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 you know like you know like you know one of those like the things sorkin loves to do where it's like act of god almost like he used to play like he did with the power in the previous episode i bet it's like that hmm that's not a close. bad guess. It's it's close, but not quite what happens. Okay. Okay. What well, we got? So what ends up happening is they're stuck on the roof for a little while. Um, they the second episode starts with them trying to get the attention of a man who is sleeping either in the dumpster or near the dumpster. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of like stupid jokes where Danny is making fun of Jordan for trying to be delicate about what to call the homeless guy. And then he's like, oh, he's just like, um, you know, dwelling challenged or whatever. And it's like, Danny, stop bad, it. Bad, quit, bad, quit this. bad. Don't do that. Uh, then they th- try to throw a rock to get his attention. And then they realize that... Uh, <laughs> the rock had the spare key. In <laughs> yeah, it. The, there's a spare <laughs> key under the rock. I like that part. I did laugh out loud at that. Yeah, and Jordan was like, why didn't you say something? And she had just said that she used to do field hockey. So Danny was like, I was trying to get past the image of you playing field hockey, <laughs> which is like <laughs> a stupid line, but I kind of thought it was funny. Um, so they're stuck up there for a while longer. Danny is insisting. He's like... No, I, I love you. She's like, well, how do you know you love me? When did you start loving me? He's like, I don't know. I, I, you, you don't just like pick a moment and start loving someone. He's like very defensive about it. Um, and she was like, you hated me at first. How can you say you love me the whole time? And then we get to what Jordan really seems to be anxious about, which is like, like, okay, Maybe this was in the first episode, actually. But the thing that she's anxious about is 
you say you like me now, even if that's true, if you get bored of this in a couple of years, you're like, you're a dad at that point and you're going to leave me and a kid. And I don't want to submit a kid to that or take a risk on, you know, a dude who's just like head over heels for me and trying to win something or prove something, which is totally fair. That's he, Danny is showing himself to be like obsessive in a way that doesn't really feel like he is listening to her feelings. He, at the beginning of the episode is like, I'm going to stop doing all the creepy stuff that I've been doing for months, which I guess is cool, but you were doing creepy stuff for months. So that's not that good. Um, and then there's a moment where Jordan shows Danny that she knows how to do magic, which is that's cute. That, cause cute. that comes back in a cute way. Yeah. And well, it she, comes back in a deus ex machina way. Excuse me. Sorry. Yeah. So she does this thing where she basically does a trick uh, where she slips a piece of paper under Danny's watch and he's like not impressed. He doesn't think it's cool at all. Then they're on the roof and uh, Danny goes near the door for some reason. Oh, he's going to slip he a want, note he under the door. He wants to slide a letter under the door. And the exact moment that he does that, Cal comes up to the roof and whacks him in the head with the door. So there's your act of God, Six. Okay, sure. Um because Cal's coming up to turn off the um, the electricity so that they can... Well, we'll talk about that in the Cal plot. Um, and then Jordan leaves the... She shakes Danny's hand and leaves the roof. And Danny's yelling at Cal. He's like, this is going to cost so much money. And then he checks his watch. And there's a piece of paper there. And he opens What's it. What's the piece of paper say? Yeah, six. What does the piece of paper say? Uh, I love you too. Yeah, you're basically right. Pretty it much. says I'm cr- I'm crazy about you or something. No, yeah, like that. even cornier. It says I'm crazy about you in all caps with an exclamation point. Yeah. I'm and crazy he, about you. He runs to find her. He says, "Jordan! Jordan! Jordan! Jordan!" And then he finds her and they talk and then he's like, blah, 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 and then they kiss and then they keep kissing and then they kiss for the rest of the episode." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. I just think that them acknowledging that, like, okay, like, the whole thing about, you know, you're 10 months sober, and you're doing the thing where you're trying to make big life changes. I think it's a really, like, uh, prescient point. You know, I think that, like, drug addiction is one of the very, very few uh, sort of archetype plots that Sorkin kind of does well, is understanding the way that people can be self-destructive even after rehab, even after recovery, whatever, and how she's like, that's a really bad thing that you're doing. You shouldn't say, like, that's going to be bad if we ever have a kid and you try to, like, raise my kid with me. And he doesn't have the moment where he's like, I promise you I'll be good. Like, I love you and it matters to me. Instead, he's like, yeah, but I still like you. Like, I'm not going to be able to stop liking you and that's it. So if that works out, it works out. If not, sorry. Bye. Okay. And then she's the one who puts the ball in his court and she's like, mm, yeah, I actually like you too. That's fine. Let's do it anyways. Like they don't, it just doesn't feel like they're like working through. I think their relationship is going to be difficult, Yeah. but it does kind of feel like they jumped to like, okay, fine. It works. It's fine. But I mean, like how much, how much could you trust if he was like, no, you're right. Okay. I'm serious about this and this is going to last. Like you can't, that doesn't mean anything. I think it's better at least for him to acknowledge like, yeah, you may be right. I feel like I'm serious about this, but you know. Maybe you're right about all this, so let's be careful. But not too careful. Let's give it a shot. Yeah, the way that he phrases it, and he's like, do we have, he says, do we have dinner anywhere in there? <laughs> like, let's just take it step by step. 
um, which I think is good. Something that I, I wasn't conscious of during the episode, but that is important to remember about uh, this ending moment between them is that even though Jordan is trying to be like the voice of reason, Jordan has shown herself to be a pretty impulsive character. Um, the start of this, yeah. the start of the first episode is her acting like cartoonishly, like upsettingly catty and unprofessional where she's just, yeah. at, she's in a meeting with, with, you know, the uh, director of like, of alternate programming and just saying the shittiest things she can think of every time she can. And it's just like, she would be sued out of her position. Yep. Yep. Yeah, she's yep. very unprofessional. And she has been for most of the, for a lot of the show, honestly. She's either like unbelie- unreasonably competent or improbably incompetent. They really don't know how to like just make her be a good yeah. Right. It's it's like it's like I feel like uh Sorkin like wants to is is doing the thing that the 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 misogynist side of him, which is most of him, um <laughs> is like well, she's a woman, so she's emotional, and she gets obsessed with things, and she's, she's flighty. you know, oh, flighty. But then it's like, oh, but I need people to understand that she, despite all, despite being a woman, she's really competent. So she ha- he ha- gives her episodes of hyper competence that also feel weird because there's no meshing there. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I do I, actually think just sorry, on the, sorry on the note of the alternative programmings thing from that first episode. What is it that Sorkin is trying to? skewer is it like jerry springer is that what he's riffing on here when it's like oh this person like the mom's gonna show up but uh, they're not they hate each other or whatever what is the what is the real life thing that sorkin is so grumpy at and thinks is he's, that he's secretly hoping that someone will hear this and be like that sounds great can you make this show for us can you make that show <laughs> instead yeah yeah but what I was going to say is that I actually enjoy I'm starting to at least be a little bit more invested in Danny and Jordan than I am in Harriet and Matt, because even though Harriet and Matt feels more directly like this is what people in Hollywood deal with. This is the kind of relationship drama that they have. The other one feels a little bit more human and relatable, like Danny and Jordan feels like people I could theoretically know in my life, whereas Harriet uh, not yeah Harriet and, and Matt's stuff is like, yeah, this like dating your director stuff and uh talking about like sex with other people like some of it works most of it doesn't to me to me to me um (laughs) and that's another (laughs) check on the box um so let's talk about that real briefly um basically at the she's at the harriet dinner for herself uh harriet and uh (laughs) she has matt with her they're supposed to have i think uh jordan or danny is supposed to talk at the Uh, jordan is jordan's supposed to talk at the dinner but she's stuck on the roof so matt is tasked with talking on the roof uh, with uh, talking at the at the dinner, uh, so he's pre- hastily preparing a speech. Meanwhile, the two of them are breaking down their own their their relationship with each other. Um, in episode one six, I believe is when we got that extended scene of her on the set of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think about that? It was painful. <laughs> it's but it's like painful, like in a way that you're supposed to feel like this guy, this director is gross. The way he's like over sexualizing her because it looks like the way that they film movies or at least like these type of documentaries where they're talking about can we get a pov shot of her camera we need to get her putting makeup on him because that's an important thing about keith richards like all that stuff Mm -hmm. but luke is a gross man it just seems to me like a gross man uh in the way that he kind of like ogles harriet and wants to like control her in a way but 
when talking to Matt, she starts talking. She mentions something that Luke told her, which is like this guy, this Matt guy, like you said you broke up with him, but you're not like you're still seeing him every day and you're still thinking about him and talking about him and you don't feel comfortable dating other people. Isn't that basically a relationship? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He says basically the breakup has just become a condition mm-hmm. of the relationship rather than ending the relationship, um, which feels like a thing that happens to people that, that I think is actually a pretty astute analysis of what's going on. And it feels intentional that Sorkin is like, Hey, this guy is like really smarmy, but also he's right. Um, and that it's, it's hard to parse those two things because it's, it's convenient for Luke that this is true. Uh, but also it is true, you know? Yeah. So, so that aspect of it, like Luke's relationship with Harriet, where he's sort of, he's trying to get with her and he's being very obvious about it. And he's also trying to like talk in her ear about her relationship with Matt. That all feels real and complicated um, in the way that that should feel. And then adding the layer that like she used to go out with him before um, further. Yeah. makes it feel like a real complex thing. Um, And then she ends up bringing that up to Matt. I don't know if that happens in the first episode that she says that to Matt. It, it does. So like, here's, here's the thing, right? Is that all the stuff with Luke is they're going so far out of their way to frame him as creepy because none of the facts make him seem creepy. Right. Exactly. That's true. Like he's directing this movie and it's like, okay, like I, I, that is not my kind of movie, but it's like, okay, here we go. Um, and they're just like doing all these like hyper close-ups and having him like right by the bed to make him seem creepy. But then like when he talks to her, he's like, Hey, you know, like every conversation they've had, like he's, he's not subtle about wanting to date her in that he literally says, yes, I would like to date you. Like, it's just like very upfront, very like, is that okay? Can we do that? If we can't, that's fine. I understand we're both adults. And then also he's like, but also I'm your friend and I think this person is being abusive to you and I want to give you advice about that. And that's just a good thing to do. Right, right. This so is, I mean, again, this is as Aaron Sorkin giving himself therapy for breaking up with, with for his breakup with Kristen Chenoweth, where it's like, <laughs> oh, maybe the other, oh shoot, maybe the other guy was right. Maybe I'm the bad guy. Yeah, but also he the other guy's a jerk. I don't like him. Like he's still creepy. <laughs> but he's a gross man. You have to know yeah. he's a he's gross. You guys, he's a film director. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to remember even where this concludes. Is the part where Matt reads in episode one? No. no, no, no. Okay. Well, okay. We've, we're skipping over the funniest part of the plot, which is uh, when they show up, Matt is like, yeah, I, I paid to have this dinner with you. I tied with Luke. And Harriet's like, what? Luke didn't isn't here. And then it turns <laughs> yes. out that Luke S. 5858 is a kid who's like a 15-year-old professional snowboarder who's just really rich and is Luke S because it's Luke Skywalker. And there's this moment where he's like, yeah, Luke Skywalker. And he's like in 5858. And then Matt mutters to himself like, is he dressed as Skywalker? This is Skywalker, Ranch. Matt. Like, just <laughs> know that Matt has just had that in his pocket for, for his whole childhood. It's like, yeah, I know where Skywalker Ranch is. Shit. So, that guy looks like that MySpace. So that guy funny. is never shout never. That guy is MySpace embodied. I loved him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, 
basically they conclude like okay guess we'll both kind of be on this date together and then there's a moment where they're both sitting uh, like uh with harry in between them and he's like dude if we're both gonna be on this date like we gotta like talk to each other or whatever and he's like go away <laughs> like stop being in this plot yeah i love that kid but uh yeah That's this concludes funny. about the way i expected so okay six what do you think happens with harriet and matt they have a they have a big fight and uh-huh. Harry uh, and Matt leaves all sulky as sad music plays. Ooh, Again, pretty yeah, broadly pretty broadly correct. So what ends up happening is their fight kind of goes a lot of different places as fights like this do, um, where really the fight is as much about figuring out what the fight is about as it is about the thing that it's about. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're. They're they're fighting. Harriet has this great line where she basically says, "Like, so what did you expect was going to happen, Matt?" Yeah, yeah. I got I got, that, I got that in the first, and it yeah. is yeah. He does come across as a pretty huge creep there. And then in the second one, she like doubles down on that by saying that these are acts of cruelty disguised as cuteness. Beautiful, which is like yeah, that's true. Uh, he's sort of wanting to keep her and keep her attention, and she basically says like. I have been around Luke and I like him and I've thought about having sex with him and how I had sex with him before. And then I stop myself because I feel like I'm cheating on you, but I'm not with you. We're not together. So like, that's fucked up. And then Matt's like, you thought about having sex with him? What? You thought about having sex with him? And she's like, ah, yeah, I have. And then the conversation goes to like, you had sex with Jeannie and he's, and Matt again, brushes that off and is like, I didn't have sex with Jeannie because she was your friend. I had sex with her because she's mine. Matt, no. No, you can't, stop, Matt. This is not a defensible position. You can't be upset that Harriet has thought about having sex with another guy. Meanwhile, you had sex many times with, like, her closest female friend, ostensibly, on the show. It, it Like, they keep uh, glossing over that. And when that's brought up, Matt is like, I know what this fight's really about. It's the fact that I didn't propose. And Harriet's like, yeah, it is. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's not what you guys broke up. No, it's not about that. Oh, Aaron, you need to go to real therapy. You cannot. Aaron, stop writing. it's not about that. A-Rod. This ain't it. (laughs) Was it A-Rod in real life, the baseball player? No. You're just being silly. I'm just being silly. Okay, yeah. great. And nothing, I, I don't like the Yankees, but uh, Aaron, uh, Alex Rodriguez is fine. I have no beef with him. He's Alex married Rodriguez. to J-Lo, yeah. Um, All-star player. What's, uh, what's the deal with the Wendy stuff, real briefly, like little capper on this episode? So, yeah, so what ends up happening is Harriet basically says, like, I've thought about having sex with Luke. Uh, and she says that to him, like, right backstage when he's about to read his speech. And then he goes out and he tries to do it. He totally tanks and can't, he mixes up his words. He stumbles. He tries to stop and start a bunch of times. Then he just gives up and he says, here's Harriet Hayes. And he totally, totally botches it and lets her down. Awful. It's kind of uncomfortable, but also like. In a good way, yeah. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so then he's, he's uh, embarrassed. So he sticks around and just like drinks his sorrows away as they're packing up the dinner. And uh, then, what's her name again? Wendy. Wendy. Do you remember Wendy Six? 
Nope. The lady that he tried to get the stiletto boot from. The bombshell babies. Oh, sure. Okay. She, yeah. she was at the dinner and she's like, hey, Matt, what's up? And they hang out. And then she Mind brings. You, this literally ends the episode. She brings him back to the studio, uh, to Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're hanging out in his office and he's like super drunk, but it's Thursday night. So he's trying to write stuff. And then it turns into there's this moment where he's talking about the thing with Harriet and he's like, I could have fixed it, could have been better, I could be better. And then out of nowhere, he's like, like Wendy, I could be better this time. And she's like, Yeah, you should you should talk to Harriet again. And he's like, No, no, no. You and me. I could be better this time. Shut up. <laughs> and he like tries to Huh? That's what it was. I kind of missed this ending because yeah. I was falling asleep. Yeah, he tries to be like, let's get back, let you and me get back together. And he says, she says like, no, nah, Matt, I'm, uh, well, I'm engaged. And then she gets a call from her fiance and it's like, hey, baby, what's up? <laughs> and then the stupidest, oh, God, this boiled my blood. She's like, it'll work out, Matt. And part of the thing is that he messed up the punchline of the joke for his speech. So she's at the door and she's like, and hey, you'll get that punchline. And then the music kicks in and we see the montage of everybody at the end of the episode. Sucks. Stupid, you want to die. Stupid, 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 stupid. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so bad. bad. I was worried for a minute there that Wendy was going to become like a, that was going to become plotline. But um, we know that Harry and Matt are going to get together at the end of this. Like, what are you doing, guys? They're destined for each other. They're simply dead. Exactly. Right. Um, even though, oh my god, it really, ooh, it keeps grossing me out whenever I remember that it's real life, because Chris and Jenna doesn't get back with Sorkin. <laughs> Ugh, can we talk about the best line and call it a day, please? Yeah, let's that do. sounds great to me. Let's talk about Cal. Let's talk about Cal, baby. baby. So, Cal doesn't usually get full plot lines to himself, but in a, this episode, he he really Timothy Busfield really carries both the performance of Cal and like the directing of all these scenes because, uh. They are using a bunch of, they hired a snake handler to bring a bunch of vipers to the set and to manage these like 24 vipers uh, while they do a PlayStation 3 commercial parody, which is hysterical because 2007. I love it. Um, and in the parody, they have all these snakes like, wa- like you know, moving around on the PlayStation and it's like, but Monster Killer 69 is coming out. That's like the joke of the sketch. Um and when the 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 snake handler who what is his name? It's like he has a funny name. It's like Boosie Bo- or <laughs> something like that. Yeah, Gary Busey. Yeah, it's Gary Busey, and uh, he's really funny because he's like completely stoic, just this like, "Yep, I'm the guy with the snakes, and you're Cal, and you're gonna pay me for him, right?" And anyways, these are my snakes. I love my snakes. He's the best. Um, and he's like, there are 23 snakes here. I count. I brought 24. You have a snake loose in your studio somewhere. Where could it have gone? It can only have gone under the stage because there's grates there. Oh, no. What's going to go on? Uh, and then they're trying to find it. They can't find the snake because it's under the whole stage and they can't get a person under there. So he's like, well, let's get a ferret. And so they get a ferret and they send the ferret down. The ferret gets stuck in the grates. Uh, they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do about the ferret? And then he's like, well, we can get a, what is it? He's like, get a wolf? Coyote. coyote. Yeah, we'll get a coyote. The coyote will eat the, <laughs> will eat the ferret. 
And Majan, you made a great point in your notes about how this plotline feels like in a more clever show, like it could be some sort of metaphor for like the way that you uh, like fix problems with other problems and how a lot of this show is that. Mm -hmm. It kind of feels like that's what it's going for, I think, because the first half ends on Cal looking into the hole and saying like what goes in after the coyote. Yeah, great line, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's what the episodes are, are trying to get at. Um, sort of like when you try to chase a bad plan with a worse plan, you're just going to make things worse. Worse overall. Yeah. And it's literally under the stage. Like the stage is is this sort of like, you know, there's plenty of metaphor you can read into this. But ultimately, it's a very, it's a very goofy plot that gives uh cal an opportunity to play around like comedically with the the snake handler yeah Mm -hmm. um so six do you think that they find the snake uh yeah i think the snake i think the snake uh i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna play it completely realistic right this is not how it would go this is not how sorkin writes how sorkin's gonna write is that the snake actually solves somebody's problem (laughs) (laughs) um but in my in, in in the realistic version, it's like, oh, it's really warm down there, and so the snakes just hang out because snakes are cold blooded. Well, yeah, they never say that, but the snake is hanging out down there, um, and they put a camera down there, and uh, or they call it a lipstick camera or something. Um, yeah, and they're like, oh, the snake is cameras. The snake is not dead, but it escalates in part two because uh, the guy realizes that he has to call. Uh, whatever they're like, the ethical treatment of animals, people. Yeah, like not animal, PETA. Animal or uh, yeah, the Humane Society. Humane Society, yeah. And he's like, well, we have to call them because once you bring a coyote in here, that's an animal, and you now it's being considered used on set. And if they come here, it's like basically like he calls the cops on Cal. Cal's freaking out because it's been going. This is I love the implication of like. You know, when he goes up to the roof and they're like, Cal, how long has a snake been in there? And he's like, since Tuesday. <laughs> he's like, Cal, it's <laughs> Thursday. There's just been a snake for two days. Um, Cal attempts damage control and tells the entire cast and crew that it's uh, mold, which makes them worry more. And we learn yeah. that the funny, the funny writer guy is actually really neurotic. And he's like, guys, mold can kill instantly. If we breathe in any mold, we're going to die. He's like, <laughs> he can't tell them it's not mold because he's trapped in his own lie. And so he puts everybody in the writer's room and he's like, just leave. In an hour, we'll be fine. Um, the lady comes, like the police lady, come, the, the Humane Society lady comes. And she's like, you're going to get fined a ton because this is just horrible mistreatment of animals. You need to get rid of the snake. You need to get rid of everything. Rip up the floorboards of the stage. Which really only matters because the final montage we're talking about where everyone's kind of like ending their plot in a happy place is also scored to some nice music while construction dudes are physically breaking Studio 60 up. With pickaxes. With pickaxes. It's kind of a cool shot. It's like slow-mo like pickaxes breaking open a stage. So it's a bad ending then. Yeah. Yeah. It's like visual. It's just visually cool. They break up the stage and presumably they find the snake. But wait, see, it's a symbol so for Matt's life falling apart. But there's no a- explanation as to why the snake is there. No, there was a snake explanation because it got loose. That's not. It. I mean, like they they send the ferret down, but then the ferret doesn't respond to their whistle. Yep. and like that's never answered. It just doesn't. Yeah, correct. Yeah, and well, then they have to send a coyote to get the out, Yeah, the coyote goes down there, and then what they find out is the animals have like arranged themselves in such a way. Where now they can see the snake, but the coyote won't leave because the snake's in the way. 
and the ferret is like <laughs> on the other side or something like that. Stupid. It's like those those like logic problems on the SATs that yeah, are like you know, like with thing. it with the boat. Get them across yeah. the river. You have to yeah. bring a boat, a coyote, a snake, <laughs> and a thing across on a boat, and <laughs> it's just that. Okay. If if the delivery is good, I buy it. But hearing it in the abstract, that yeah, that, that sounds like they did not stick the landing. It stays fun because Cal's fun, and the dude yeah. is so oblivious to how incompetent he is it's still i love it i love 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 it and i said this on the chats room when they introduce a character to one of the sorkin shows who isn't a sorkin type and they're just a dude who's like a contractor who's like yeah i do i bring animals to like tv sets those are my favorite characters yeah Mm -hmm. those Mm -hmm. are just the best yeah Um, yeah Uh, uh, on the two days after the snake has gone down there and he's like it's no good we'll have to go get the We'll have to go get the ferret. It's going to be another $6,000 because you got to buy a new snake. And Cal's like, I'm not doing that. He's like, okay, <laughs> I'm sure it'll leave eventually. <laughs> How long you got? <laughs> or like, or when he, again, this is, this, this is exactly how they played it for, but they did a good job where he shows up and Cal's like, so these are like, these are like, not like poisonous snakes. He's like, no, they'll kill you. <laughs> if you move at all, they will kill you. Yeah, like, and he like shows him like like bite marks on his finger. It's so good. It's, it's very funny. Yeah, yeah, their 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 back and forth is is what sells this plot and what makes it so entertaining. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and I think yeah, you can definitely read a sort of like easy metaphor for like the way that people self sabotage and that being what a lot of Studio Sixty is about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't. Yeah, I think this is just fun because, again, like Majel was telling us earlier, like Cal just needs more plots. Cal is a, that guy. Like Timothy Busfield's funny. Uh, he brings a levity to the show, and he's one of the people who actually works on the production. Like he's not just dealing with. He doesn't have any romances. I think he's married. Like he's his like personal life is fine. I don't need more personal life stuff. I want like people stressing about the production. Um, you know, like him dealing with the the random veteran that comes onto the episode, which is almost a fun plot, and then gets really stupid. Uh, mm-hmm. Bevo is the name of the snake handler. <laughs> They're like, "What's up, Bevo?" And then he talks to the 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 animal lady, and she's like, "What's up, Bevo?" And he's like, "How you doing, uh, Marge?" <laughs> she's like, "Good." <laughs> like they have history together. It's great. Ugh. I do also like uh, Danny on the roof being like, "Wait." That was the animal. We've got a snake loose. <laughs> I'm smart. It's fun in the second episode when Cal gets up there and he's like, you you didn't think I'd figure it out, did you? How much money are you spending on this thing? He's like, it's a funny yeah, and they do the whole breakdown of like 30000 Like how much would it have cost if we filmed offsite? 20000 How much is it going to cost? Or no, like 20000 here, 30000 off. And he's like, how much will it cost now that we have to spend all this money? And he's like, about 200000 He's like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of money but to us that's not a lot of money because we're all we we work for a tv network um mm-hmm. it's great but that basically covers the episodes and uh yeah i again i think there was a lot of fun stuff to be had in here i just don't really think this needed to be two parts i think like one and a half parts would have been fine yeah i agree there um i have some stray notes from across the episodes there's this gross moment before danny goes to apologize to jordan where matt says you know you don't have anything to apologize for right and it's like matt no 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 no, don't give stop advice. Matt. don't give advice sir stop it uh let's see the we talked about how the kim tom stuff is gross but like the lines themselves are really icky and obvious um where she's like uh what's the age for or no uh 
Tom's like, you're 20, right? He says right? the age to drink here is 21 in California, yeah. and you're 20. I need to tell you that so that you know that it's okay. It's bad that you're drinking. Yeah. And, and then, then she says, what's the age for taking you back to my hotel room and dancing for you? Which is gross. And then Simon is like, 18. <laughs> Which is Shut disgusting. Uh, um, and then Tom later tries to be like, let's talk about you and the viola. And she says, let's talk about you and your cute ass. Yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> <laughs> Put on the cuffs. <laughs> Let's go to jail. Put him on, Aaron. Yeah, sorry, buddy. You're Put going away for a while. Um, I did like this idea. They they dropped this whole thread, but the thing with the um, preview for the next episode with uh, with Masioka, where where um, Harriet does the dolphin voice. Yeah, but it's like a thing that uh there isn't a sketch written for it yet so matt's like stressed about it and then Danny, people online are talking about the sketch but there is no sketch <laughs> right but then that's like not a focus of the episode at all and then danny tries to yell at jordan about it and is like why did you air that promo and she's like it was just funny and he's like this is just a part of the whole one sheet world which i thought that that was kind of an interesting thing for danny to be angry about that we live in a world that's all about like, just give me a cool pitch and we'll like write the movie later or we'll write the sketch later. And it doesn't matter if it's good as long as it sells. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny successfully like realizing how news media has gone <laughs> in the last 10 years. Yeah. But also like that's something Jordan agrees with. So there could have been something interesting in that conversation, but they just bring it up and then don't talk about it anymore. And mm-hmm. that whole thread is dropped. But I, I was curious about it, I guess. Um, Matt uses the R word in episode yeah. two. I didn't, even, I didn't even bother commenting on it. It's 07. It's 07. It sucks. Yeah. That, that he can get on a network. Yeah. Uh, I was very amused that uh, the animal handler guy said that the coyote's first role was on the X-Files. <laughs> on the X-Files. <laughs> He's been working steadily since then. <laughs> And then Cal leans in to talk to the coyote and he says, you don't scare me. And then it growls and he says, okay, you do. You do. That was hubris. That was hubris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cal's so good. Yeah. Give me the Cal show. Just give me like a super cut of the Cal scenes. I would, I would watch that. Um, I mean, you re- you really just can do, you know, like like writer and producer. You could do the two sides of the story and they just don't. It'd be easy. Beautiful. Love it. I, I saw a sign for the first time in the writer's room up over the door that says skits under construction. Yeah, the like Stupid. set design that they actually have on this program are, are fun. Yeah. Um, and then I was really annoyed by the line when Simon's talking to Darius about writing. And he says, hey, rule number one of writing, writing rules. Yeah. <laughs> Cute. Silly. It's a writer line. Yeah, maybe that's a real thing, but it felt dumb. <sighs> Uh, mm-hmm. but that's um, that's everything I have. I think the only thing I have is about the preview for the next episode. So can you do me a favor and tell me what happened? What we're watching next time on Studio Sixty? I would love to do that. And then you're gonna tell us how the preview sold it. Yes, that sounds amazing. Um, okay, so next time on Studio Sixty on the Sunset Chats, we're watching two more episodes of Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip. They are episodes 15 and 16. The first is uh, episode 15, The Friday Night Slaughter. Matt remembers how he and Harriet first met. Hmm. So the, is that all it says? Yep. The preview is basically a lot of like, 
And next time on Studio 60, we're going back to the beginning. Hi. Uh, it's it's like when Harriet met Maddie. Hmm. <laughs> they like do a Harry met Sally thing. And then it's like him looking fresh faced and young, but not really because it's clearly the same time of acting. And uh, it's like them being like, hi, I'm Harriet. I'm Matt. <laughs> it's like so Stupid. just it tries to be like really, really sappy with it. Stupid. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the second episode that we're watching is episode 16, 4 a.m. Miracle. On a Wednesday night, Matt is stuck with writer's block. Oh, great. Yeah. So that'll be cool. That one from what I've read about it is also bad uh, okay. or has some yucky stuff in it. Um, we'll find out. We'll discover. Cool. It. I definitely I remember have... having watched the Friday Night Slaughter. I don't know if I've seen Fourier Miracle. At some point along the way, I will have stopped watching Studio Sixty the last time I watched it, but I am still not sure where it was. You keep saying that. I know. I keep. I not know. Being I true. didn't see the whole thing. But yeah, <laughs> we get to the last one. He's like, so I definitely have seen this one, but I haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. They didn't make more of this. Um, but yeah, that brings us to everybody's favorite segment. It's the plug zone. Plug your stuff, please. I'm going to start by plugging the show. Chatspod at gmail.com. That's, I'm just going right into it, baby. C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D at gmail.com if you have emails for the podcast. These are being recorded well in advance of release. So if you do send an email in, we will read it on the next week's episode in a recorded post segment between, I don't know, we'll figure it out. Um, at Chatspod on Twitter. Please rate us on iTunes. And most importantly, check out patreon.com slash chatspot where we have all sorts of bonus content at what I think is a very reasonable price. Every month, you get access to bonus shows that are mostly me and Magellan talking about TV and its various forms and watching films. It's great. I love it. Give me the chatsums, kids. Please feed me your chatsums. Six, you go first. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at six Detmar. Um Yes, at so- Yep. Uh, my chat sum for this week is uh, sports. Yeah, like it's baseball, sports? baby. Yeah, I, it's it's baseball week over over at Scanline Media by weird happenstance, and so I am going to do a chat sum on the uh, Dorktown uh, SB Nation uh, video series on the Seattle Mariners. Oh, that's so good! It's I been doing the rounds, but yeah, it's it's a series of six videos about basically the history of the seattle mariners from their start to current day and sort of it's it's a it's a team that has a a very weird and complicated history of strange things and is helped by the fact that baseball is a very weird sport yeah and uh you did some writing about baseball recently i don't know how long ago that'll have been but i can i can try to throw a link into the episode when that when this comes out Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I like baseball a lot, and the the best thing about baseball is once you get over the concept of baseball and just get to how strange it is. Yeah, heck yeah, and also arcade baseball is for chumps. It is. That's true. We Marge. like sports, and we don't care who knows football, 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 hockey. football. <laughs> golf, golf. But John, what's your chance? Oh boy, I don't know. Give me a second. I don't know. Give me the next word that comes to your head. You know what? I've been watching more and more videos from this one youtube channel called the dodo and they just do cute animal videos so <laughs> i respect watch, it watch those they're pretty cute d-o-d-o yeah the, like the animal the dodo great dodo dodo the all three of us are doing youtube stuff this week that's fun um mine is the aforementioned youtube channel renegade cut which i've talked plenty on here about like different film and tv like video essayists 
Um, Renegade Cut is unique in that he specifically focuses on like leftist analysis of uh, television and, and film, uh, like with a lot of historical evidence and uh, different perspectives and uh, like kind of analyzing how films reflect the times that they came out, like how a lot of slasher films uh, reflected like the gay panic of the Reagan era or how p- post 9-11 action movies are about that stuff or um you know, all sorts of stuff. So his, his channel is really great. And again, my favorite video of his from recently is uh, his video about neoliberalism and SNL, which you can just find by typing in like renegade cut neoliberalism. Um, really good stuff and very much worth your time. Uh, and thank you both to Six and Magellan for being the two rocks to my one hard place. Um, thank you, listener, listener, very much for listening to this episode of Studio 60 on the Sunset Chats. Let's restart the clock. Thank you folks for listening to that episode of Studio 60 on the Sunset Chats. And thank you to Six for being on this season. It's been so fun listening back to these and hearing the dynamic uh, that Six brings. And this was a really fun experiment in uh, doing TV rewatch and discussion a little bit differently this time around. Anyway, you heard most of the plugs there at the end of the episode, but I wanted to add some additional things. In the time since we recorded that episode, we have launched a Twitch channel uh, where we're streaming occasionally. So far, it's been every other week or so, which we might stay consistent with. We haven't officially said that that's our cadence, but uh, that seems to be when we feel like doing it so far. Uh, Most recently, we streamed us playing some random GameCube games, including Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg as the main attraction, following that up with some Star Fox Assault and some uh, Monkey Ball. So if you want to check out us (laughs) playing just like random games from the aughts, that's what we were doing there. And uh, my love of the GameCube means that almost certainly we will do a GameCube potpourri stream uh, sometime soon again. Other than that, I wanted to let you know what's on the Patreon right now. So yesterday we released Pilot Chats where we covered Watchmen and Chernobyl, two miniseries from 2019, as we're trying to figure out which miniseries we want to do for our season 11. Uh, I think we had some pretty interesting discussions about both of those, and uh, you should tune in on the Patreon to have a listen. And then we have a poll for the month of March. Today is the last day to vote on that so that you can decide what is the, uh, of all the options that have lost in polls over the course of the past year, which is our first year doing polls, um, of all those options, which one is the one that's going to be saved from the ashes and, uh, and make it onto the Patreon. So far, it looks like a commentary of RoboCop is winning. Uh, so that could be exciting. I don't know. I've never seen it. I know Red Foreman's in it. So that's something. Other than that, folks, thank you again so much for listening and supporting the show. Please consider sharing the show with someone, uh, sending them a link, telling them about it, leaving us a review, all of those things that just help us to bring more people to the, uh, to the community. Other than that, have a wonderful week and uh, make sure to <laughs> eat your vegetables, which in this case means watching Studio 60. Until then, see you later. <laughs>